Beverly Kitson, thank you for coming in. You're welcome. I am really excited that you're here. And um, thanks for doing this. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it will. We've known each other for a long time now, but we've never sat down in a long form conversation like this, or at least not one that's recorded. <laughs> that's correct. Without further ado, could you please introduce yourself and uh, let's get rolling. All right. How would you like me to introduce myself? <laughs> Just say it right there into that microphone. <laughs> All right. Um, Beverly Smith Kitson. Uh, I'm known here as Beverly Kitson. I'm known uh, in the Costa Rican community as Beverly Smith. Um, and uh, I've been living here now for 50 years. 50 years. Uh, off and on. Not, not full time. Full time for 26 years. So uh, it's a long time. What, what was the reason for the first trip out here, of all mm -hmm. places on mm -hmm. the world? Like, why did you come to Nosara? Well, uh, my husband was the deputy director of the Peace Corps. We were living in San Jose, and uh, <clears throat> there was a Peace Corps volunteer here in Nosara. And he came into San Jose and came into the office, and he spoke with my husband and the director, and he said, you guys got to come out and take a look at what's happening out in my town. He said, there, there's a, uh, a developer that's putting in roads and dividing up into lots, and uh, it's going to go uh, uh, on sale uh, in the New York Times in 1971, and uh, this was 1970. So we came out to take a look, and we were the first to buy. Really? The very, very first. The very first people to buy a lot. I guess that explains why your location's so good. That's correct. I, we got the best view. We uh, were riding around on horseback because they didn't have the roads finished. So we were on horseback looking at the lots. And uh, the uh, salesman said, let me show you my favorite view. So out we went to look at a western-facing view. And uh, we said, oh, we'll take it. And he said, well, let me show you another thing. I want to show you this and this mountain views. I mean, you really love this stuff. You know, come on, let's take a look. No, nope, this. And we're not sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So yeah. horseback was your method of transportation around at, here? At that particular time, yeah. They very quickly got the roads in. Uh, Derek Von Wilpe uh, was putting in the roads as fast as he could. And um, they started selling lots in section a that was the first section that went on sale and the lots were small about uh half an acre uh, or less and uh, they were very inexpensive about three thousand bucks so you know and they had to uh because they were going to advertise in the new york times they had to meet certain requirements they had to have water i had to have electricity uh, and they uh, could not be on swampland. And um, Section A, of course, is not swampland. It's up quite high on a hill, small hill, but mm -hmm. it's on a hill. So uh, then we, because we bought early, uh, they said, if you put a house on your lot by within a year, we'll give you a 10% discount. And we said, okay, done. And they said, um, they said, also, if you pay up front before it goes on sale in the New York Times, we'll give you another 10% off. So we get 20% off the 3000 So you do the math. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty, pretty darn cheap. Yeah, you came out of that one okay. Yeah, we did. We did it. That was a good investment. I was told that because of the river mouth and North Palata there, that they thought that was going to be kind of the central focus of things. 
I think that um, Alan Hutchinson, the developer, uh, had an idea of making the lagoon, you know, there's a good-sized lagoon in, at the river mouth, uh, putting in a uh, marina. But uh, within at least no more than two years, he had figured out that that was not a reality. I just, I mean, look at the problems they're having up at Flamingo trying to, and that, they've been working on that for 50 years. Forever. Yeah, more than 50 years. So... so Alan Hutchinson, he was the original developer, and there was originally supposed to be a golf course, correct? Right, right. He put in um, a small hotel, uh, did not have a pool, uh, and he put in the tennis courts, and he sectioned off the areas for the golf course. But within five years, he could see that the development was not going fast enough. It was a very slow sell. People bought lots, but nobody came and built. Mm. So it was a very slow development. I mean, after after ten years, by the eighties, there were still only only maybe forty houses. Wow! So he was selling them through the newspaper. Yes, and it was that type of sell. Yes, people mailed off their deposit. That's correct. Like an envelope. Yep, yep. And uh, and most people bought without seeing. And then there were some who came down, and they they had put a. Uh, put their money down on a Section A lot, got down here and said, oh, no, I want to be up in Double E in the mountains. And then they changed their mm. deposit. Uh, many people did that once they, once they came and saw. But many people never came. They just bought. It's a very strange thing. <laughs> I guess with access being so challenging, and you guys had to drive through rivers and all types of crazy stuff. Well, there was only a seasonal road. Uh, the road was only open from... Uh, late, late December, late December, and it closed with the first rain because the dust in those days was about four to five inches thick on the roads, and it was only one lane wide. They just ran uh, the leveler. Is that what you call that thing? We'll call it that now. All right, okay. The leveler went through uh, from, uh, let's see, from... Um, from the main road to Samara, it just went through and made a road. And each year it was a little bit different. It was in a little bit different place. And, uh, and they, they were making small improvements uh, along the way, but it was, it was a different route each year. I think I read some old NCA stories, either you or, or Mr. Ed, writing about how you guys had to use, because the dust was so thick and weird, you had to use chains like snow chains. Except it was dust chains. Is that, is that well, correct? Well, yes, we had yes, we had a Volkswagen microbus uh, camper, and uh, we did have chains. So you and the kids and your husband came out and in <laughs> the Volkswagen bus mm -hmm. and uh, forged through the rivers and made it to Absolutely. Garza, and then eventually the road from. Oh, Garza you came connected. on. The, you came. No, you didn't come uh, at Garza. You went on to the beach. And, and then you went through that little tiny back road that goes out to Guiones. Mm -hmm. Okay, then you, got, then you drove down the Guiones Beach. So that was the route. So you had to catch the while. tides. You, had, you to had to catch the tides. You got there at high tide, you just sat and waited for six hours. Right. Till the tide went out. So. Um, well, your children had a very formative experience. Yes, they, they certainly did. They certainly did. So did my husband and I. <laughs> it was very formative. So your, it was husband, fun, though. your, your husband basically. It sounds like he, he was a force of a human being. From, yes, he is. was indeed. Yeah. From, from what you described. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about him and those early years and what ended up being his legacy. 
Well, I think his legacy is probably uh, uh, the library um, in his name. Uh, but he was um, very interested in seeing that this area developed uh, with tourism. And uh, he was instrumental in convincing the powers that be in uh, the American Embassy uh, to invest in bridges. And so, wow. because when we first came, there were no bridges on the way to Samra, out of Nicoya. The last bridge, and the only bridge, was over the Rio Nosara. All the other rivers that you cross, you cross the river. Gee whiz. Yes. So, and that was another reason why uh, the road was only open half a year, because those rivers get, those rivers get big. So, uh, yeah, he was able to convince, uh, as I say, the uh, economic uh, developers in the embassy that this was an area that was going to take off. So he and, was uh, he was super passionate. It's it sounds like he it, it wasn't just personal interest, business interest across the board. Like he, the, yeah, he had no business interest. He felt that this was what was needed for the area. Mm. I mean, he didn't get anything out of it. Uh, his his area of expertise was in uh, education, um, housing, uh, basic uh, basic needs like that. That was how what he worked in in the Agency for International Development when he was with the agency. I got you. So with AID. <laughs> so he, what was what was the one story I had read about one time? He was part of the program where the country bought a book, a textbook for every child? Yes. Tell yes, us indeed. about that. Well, um, uh, as you know, uh, Costa Rican school children do not receive school books. And uh, the embassy really didn't think that was such a good idea, and it isn't a good idea. They should have school books. And so uh, the embassy invested, AID, invested one year, worked with the Ministry of Education, and uh, they made uh, textbooks uh, for the elementary school, first through sixth grade, in all four subjects, and uh, and printed them up and printed enough enough for every child in the country. Wow! And then distributed them. Wow! So in the library we have one set. Oh, that's great! Yeah, we have one set. Oh, you connected that. Yeah. That's cool. It's interesting how his business, his business. <laughs> Was educating people, and now his legacy is the library, which yeah. well, you've promulgated. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's yeah. what a what a great memory. And how does it make you feel to still see his, like his, his spirit and his his efforts are alive very much right now, and you're still driving this bus? <laughs> uh, like how how does that feel to know that it's still going? It's good. It's a very good thing, and we're, we're doing some very important work, and we've seen some really significant changes in the community, in the, in the Tico community, uh, and we're very proud of what we've been doing. Well, and I be. know he would be very, very proud to have his name on that library. So, Hey, what was the story? It was a, a, a bridge, the one we call the Rasta Bridge. Was that, was that what you were thinking for a moment, was doing a bridge in his name? I can't remember the full story. Can oh, you clarify that? Uh, well, uh, one of the Peace Corps volunteers, uh, actually that first Peace Corps volunteer, tried to put in um, a uh, hammock bridge uh, over the Rio Nosara. And he put in uh, giant supports 
uh, for this hammock bridge on each side of the Rio Nasara. And, um, but uh, he never, never got the whole project together. And at that time, the people on the other side of the river didn't go to school for those months. You know, once it started raining, they didn't go to school again. And because the school was here in, uh, in Nosara. Yeah. So children on the other side didn't go to school. And that was serious. Uh, and they, you know, and some people tried to get their kids to school and brought them across in a boat. It was a boat that went across regularly morning and evening or morning and afternoon. And uh, that was just not satisfactory. So um, that was one of the, the bridges that, uh, that was put in. And all of the bridges had um, copper plaques on them that mm-hmm. said, Gift of the United States of America to Costa Rica. All of the plaques were stolen. <laughs> they disappeared. <laughs> little by little, one after another, they disappeared. Oh, well, I don't no know what comment. they did with the, co- the, the copper. I don't know. There's the old saying, if you can't be tied down, it'll walk away. <laughs> it'll walk away. Oh, dear. Okay, so well, we're going to get more to the library in a little bit, but let's, keep, let's jump back in time. Was there a big difference between the people who settled in Guiones or, say, the A-Section Hill or what ended up being Las Huacas? Or was it just people didn't really know where they bought and they just showed up to see what they had? Um, well... Uh, people came in, first of all, they bought their lot, and then they came in and decided if that's where they wanted to build or not. And as I say, many of them changed their mind and built somewhere else. And uh, it was just um, a kind of a catch-all. It was mainly retired people that came at first. There were, were not very many young people, and certainly no people that were coming here to start businesses. That was not you, you were coming here to retire. You weren't coming here to start a business. There were some younger people that came. Uh, Bobby Johnson and her husband were quite young when they came. D- Dave and I were young. We were in our 30s when we uh, came and built our little house and then continued to use it for a vacation house for 20, for 20 years. Uh, so it was just a mishmash uh, of people, but people that were coming permanently. Mm. Um and uh, and then there was another group that came that was snowbirds, and they built actually kind of nicer homes, fancier homes, and a lot of them up on the hill, uh, and they came for three months a year, and uh, so but again all retirement people that mm. were coming down and just enjoying enjoying the the time. The community was very uh, close knit. Uh, we were very dependent upon each other. Uh, there were no telephones, of course. We had CB radios. Everybody had a CB radio. And so we talked to each other on the CB radios. Whales, whales, go run, look. There are whales out there. Oh, boy, everybody ran to the porch to take a look at the whales going by. And the view. Well, everyone could see it back then. And though, in those days, everybody had a view, just about. And, well, for example, the section from Lagarta Lodge to um, the Stone House, what they call the Stone House, that road right there, that just, just kind of a flat road on a small hill, uh, had, had fabulous views of the surf. Not just the water, the surf. It's very different. Oh, it's different now. There's not a single one that's got a view of the surf. Isn't it ironic that the community you showed up to was basically targeting retirees and it was a golf course 
and there were no trees. And now, as you're sitting here telling the story in 2020, there's trees everywhere. Trees everywhere. And still no golf course. <laughs> still now there's no golf course. And it's not and it has families all over the place. Yeah. It's like it's completely done the opposite of what it was originally intended yes, to do. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. Um, the uh, the settlement pattern changed drastically when we got Wi-Fi. That changed the nature of the community completely. Mm, that makes so, sense. Yes. So we got uh, we got electricity in about eighty three or eighty four. Uh, we didn't have an electricity before that. We had our own plant that produced electricity a few hours a day, not all day. It's kind of a basic generator setup. That's correct. That's correct. That ran on diesel, and uh, <clears throat> and the NCA ran it. And, uh, and they also ran the water. So uh, then, and then in 83, we got the electricity, and it was almost 93 before we got phones. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. I'm just trying to pause and imagine life today well, like that. When, when we moved into our little cabin, uh, they had not connected the electricity yet, so we had a kerosene refrigerator and a kerosene lamp on the wall. And they brought us water in a tank, in a tank truck every day uh, and filled our tank above ground, uh, an elevated tank that then had a gravity feed to the house. So do you look very back, primitive. <laughs> do you look back on those times, those memories? Do you kind of wish it was still that way? Or Certainly you... not. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that was not fun at all. I mean, it, I mean, some days they'd forget to bring the water, and what are we going to do? You know, flush the down, yeah, right, right, down to the river we go. So, no, no, I don't, I don't wish for those days to come back. So, as we progress through that time period, <clears throat> excuse me, as as we progress through that time period, and it, it looks like the golf course is probably not happening. I'm imagining the original residents were. A, a little upset that the community didn't take off like it was supposed to. Yes, uh, they were. And those who had bought along the golf course and expected to come here and play golf uh, in their uh, dotage uh, were not only disappointed, they were angry. Mm. And then they formed a group and sued Alan Hutchinson, uh, who then pulled out of here and uh, left everything in Jim Rodigan's uh, name. Is this the early 80s? or? Yes, it is. Okay. And uh, so we, we did win the lawsuit against uh, Alan Hutchinson. And he paid in the form of land. And he paid in the form of land. That's right. Uh, and they formed uh, what was called Amigos, of, uh, Amigos de Nosara, and, uh, which held the land. And uh, then... Gra slowly sold off pieces as they needed as they needed to. Gotcha. So most of our parkland that we have today is owned by Amigos de Nosara. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people hear that that term, but they don't really know where it came from. And the short version is that that came from the lawsuit. Yes. Um, that's because the land he that didn't was build a golf course. Yeah. And everyone today is pretty happy about that. Yes, of course. Yeah. Now, the Nostra Civic Association, I'm assuming, sprang up during this time. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, Alan Hutchinson said, you've got to form your own civic association to run this place. Uh, he said, I'm not in charge of you guys. You know, you run yourselves. So they formed basically a government. And uh, it has continued to run the place. 
ever since. So as this was all happening, could you see the future battles that would happen over land? Uh, like just now, you've seen the full circle from the FIPS NCA transfer, the settlements, the whole thing. Like, could you see that beforehand and say, "Uh oh, we're going to have some issues here," or was it like, how did that all go? Because that that was a huge deal. And people arriving today don't even know it existed. Right. Uh, no, I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, she was here for a, a, a few years uh, as an investor and as part of the development of the project. And then she left. And uh, when she left, we figured she was gone. And uh, she comes back, what, 20 or 30 years later and says, oh, this, this piece of land is mine. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so that was a surprise, actually. Now, I'm, I remember early 2009 was the first time I saw, like, big fireworks in or 10, somewhere around there, where guards came out and fences went up and then private security teams were oh, hired. Yes. Like, do yeah. you remember all that? Oh, yes, certainly. So I was very new here when that was unfolding, mm-hmm. so I was scared to death of the ah, whole thing. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't really understand the story. So it just seems strange to me that this quiet, peaceful town that has all these nature preserves, like has this whole big thing going on that no mm-hmm. one really seemed to understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Well, I'm glad that's ending. Yeah, I'm very glad. The NCA has done a terrific job of following through. I mean, that was a terrible struggle uh, and a costly one. And I'm yeah. very glad that... Uh, that they have reached the settlement and things are calming down. And uh, I guess I'd say thank you to both sides for helping get that done and everyone who participated mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. It's nice to sit here in 2020 without hearing FIPS NCA mm-hmm. and, and knowing that that's an, an ongoing future battle. It seems like we have resolution and mm-hmm. many thanks to everyone for helping that make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So in the 80s, electricity came in, you said around 83 mm-hmm. four. The NCA is established. People start fighting. The NCA was established in the 70s. Like 75, right? Something Uh, like that. So either way. It might have been earlier than that. I'm not not sure. I can't tell Hmm. you. I would have said said 73 or 4. Okay. But I'm not. I can't. Either way. So let's just call it mid-70s NCA formers. But by Mm -hmm. the 80s, it's obvious the golf course isn't happening. And the NCA redirects its effort Mm -hmm. to monitoring this space, essentially. Mm -hmm. And did you guys all get together and say, hey, let's make this parklands? Or did it just naturally happen? Like, what's the story Well, there there? were parklands already, a lot of them, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Hutchinson had uh, set aside. It was part of, he had to conform to rules and regulations for development. um, And part of that was having parklands within your development. And uh, so he had set aside quite a few. And then all we did was to add those lands that uh, were supposed to be the golf course. And, uh, but there were still lots of other lands that were already parklands and were already turned over to the NCA. I get you. Now, in this time, surfing <coughs> and yoga was not popular here. Well, let's or is, see Or now. is that incorrect? Well, surfing... Uh, let's see, one of the f- very, f- uh, may- well, maybe second. He came in second. Uh, it was the second owner of a, um, a home here. And uh, he was a great surfer. Uh, and uh, it, and uh, let's see, and that was in the 70s. So, so the, it started, none of the locals surfed, none. 
no one. Uh, but again, you know, a surfboard costs a lot of money. It did. And it, well, where, where are you going to get one around yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. There's no place to buy one. So that was just not, now, I, a, I've not been an told, issue. I've been told repeatedly that look, one of the most interesting things about Nassar is that locals were not displaced per se, as in there wasn't a town sitting where Guiones is now. Absolutely not. So talk us through that. Well, uh, this was uh, pasture land. It was all pasture land. And uh, that's why you could had see these wonderful views because there weren't any trees. And uh, um, there were those uh, rather unattractive looking um, palm trees that I don't know whether they, they have some sort of a nut on them uh, that's useless. And uh, that was the only trees. And they were scattered all over the place, but in the pastures. And uh, cattle was big. Uh, in the 60s here, and started to die out in the mid-70s. So, um, and then, so he came in, Alan Hutchinson, and bought up these pasture lands, most of them. And uh, I have pictures, I have a slideshow from the 70s, of pictures that we took during the 70s, and all the hills are bare, you know, all the hills. And, and they look so much smaller. Now they look big, but they've got, you know, they've got 50-foot trees on them, you right. know, and increased their size considerably. So, um, <clears throat> where was I going with that? <laughs> I don't know. It was I don't interesting, know though. <laughs> <laughs> I was enjoying the ride. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so I think what we were talking about was, all right, we can just keep progressing along the way. What we were talking about was how, Locals were not displaced. Oh, absolutely not. The town was in the town. And uh, they had an airport. They already had an airport. They had an airport for years before we ever even thought of coming here. Anybody. Who did the airport? They did. Nice. They did. Because they were so isolated. And, uh, you know, there were accidents and uh, uh, things happen and people have to get out in a hurry. But they brought in the newspaper La Nación every day. And um, and the it came from Punta Arenas. The plane came, little plane came from Punta Arenas. It cost ten dollars, ten dollars, to fly from Punta Arenas to Nassara. I think it cost ten dollars to ride in a tuk tuk from the airport <laughs> right. to Guiones. That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, did you fly in much back then? Did. Yes. Yes, indeed. Because it was the only way you could get in here uh, during the rainy season. So, uh, yes, we flew in quite frequently. Must have been a, a bit of an experience. It certainly was. Uh, I mean, the flight was great. You know, it's just a jump from Punta Arenas. And, uh, and then the problem was uh, you got here and you had to walk to wherever you were going. And so we brought out an old Rambler. You probably don't even know what a Rambler is. Uh, well, it was a type of car, small, a uh, little sedan. And some um, Peace Corps, mm, no, some tourists had come down to San Jose in the Rambler, and they wanted to sell it and fly home. So we said, oh, we'll buy it and drive it out here. So we did. We drove it out here, and it made it, barely. And so we had that at the house, and we could uh, then go and get, get the car. We had walked to get the car, and then we could get around a little bit. <laughs> and then quickly beat it up and not have any mechanics to fix it. That's right. And it quickly did that. And then we put it in the dump. And it's at the bottom of the first dump. 
the dump that is near the NCA building. Let's talk about the dump for just a second. We just now got municipality trash service mm-hmm. this past year. What's that like for you to see this whole saga from? Well, it's quite amazing, actually. But uh, I, I thank uh, um, the people who have worked so hard to uh, make this happen. And, and also the, the whole aspect of recycling. I mean, Nosara is way ahead of most communities in Costa Rica. And uh, I remember... Now why is that? Well, because the gringos are pretty organized... And, um, and we've fought pretty hard for that. And, um, and it is necessary. It's needed everywhere. And everybody knows it's needed. Nobody's willing to do the work that it takes to move this project along. Mm. And uh, people here were willing to do the work. Now, it seems like by today's standards, the people who are coming here are pretty environmentally conscious compared to your standard tourism town. Well, they certainly always have been. I mean, people have from the very, very beginning, always, the very, very first people that came here came for the natural life. And uh, and they appreciated it so. Alan Hutchinson himself um, stopped the killing of monkeys and the killing of deer and the killing of everything else. And I mean, if he heard a gunshot man, he was out trying to find that person. So he's not this evil developer guy. Oh, no. He did a wonderful job. Oh, no. Alan Hutchinson did a wonderful job. He had a fine plan, and he, and he did a good job. He just didn't build a golf course, and that made everybody mad. And then it made everybody happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting how things like that work out, huh? I know. I know. So what do you miss the most about those days gone by? Um... Well, I I uh, I miss the fact that we didn't have any any uh, traffic problems. I mean, I had I had two stops with traffic coming here today, and I mean, oh, you mean with traffic or with the police? Yes, the, well, first it was the police, and then there was I don't know a truck stopped in the middle, and and there were so many cars coming the other way that I had to sit there for five minutes, and uh, you know. It was nice not to have traffic. It was nice not to have so much dust. But that's all. Uh, I I really, there is no stopping development. There's no stopping the future. The future comes whether you like it or not. And to try to stop it is like sweeping back the tide. You're not going to sweep the tide away. Especially that was quote of the day. Well, it's the truth. Well, so here's one of my biggest pieces. Well, yeah, I'll say it. This One of my biggest beefs with people who live here is when they just start yelling, stop, stop building, stop selling, stop this, stop that. And the reality is how, you can't stop. You can't just. No, but it, we need to have some controls on it. Yes. We definitely need controls. I was thrilled when the municipality this year has tried to uh, put some um some restrictions. The, yeah, the temporary on, building on regulations. Yes. So you're a big fan. I certainly am. Yeah. It's very important because otherwise uh, greed takes over and we all know where we get with that. Geez, look at basically every coastal town. Absolutely. It's very sad. And we have something very special in this town and we've got to protect it. And we all have to protect it, not just some of us. Mm. And, hey, uh, on, on that note, what do you think Nosara did right? That, because you just said we have something that's special. What 
what did Nosara do right to maintain its special status as we sit here now? Well, I think, first of all, I think the NCA has been uh, very, very important in um, creating a government. Uh, someone, someone asked my husband some years ago, um, well, is, is the NCA a government? And he said, well, we govern, therefore we're a government. And, and basically that is the case, you know. Uh, and, and we have fought, we've had uh, lawsuits uh, to try to stop certain aspects of development and uh, we've been extremely active and, and, and that creates an atmosphere in the community of protection. And then so people protect the animals and they protect the trees and uh, it's, it spreads. Uh, and uh, I think for many, many years that it was very strong. I think it's not quite as strong now. But uh, I think that's something we need to work on. Mm. Well, that's all very interesting. So let me ask you this question. What do you think that Nosara did wrong? Like, like if you could go back and change something, what would it be? I don't have an answer for that one. Tough question. <laughs> yeah, it is a tough question. Um, no, I'm, uh, again, because we've had a government of sorts, uh, I think that that we've done things in a, in a more reasonable way than in, than in other towns. Uh, in Samra, the development was just crazy. It was overnight people built. And I have friends who uh, have homes there. And um, they said that two, three houses would go up in a night, uh, in, you know, right around them. And there was nothing you could do. You know, there was, whereas we've had much more organization and much more control. And so it has all been uh, far more civilized. So in particular for Plastic Nosara or the American Project or whatever you the want American to call it. The American Project, I'm It sounds about. like what you're saying, the main thing that Nosara did right was the Nosara Civic Association. Yes, I do believe that. I truly do believe that. And the type of people that have come here for the most part, there have been exceptions, but for the most part, they have been people that really want to protect the naturalness of the area and uh, protect nature, protect the animals, and, um, and live in a, a clean environment. Well, you've lived in one of the most pristine or cleanest spots I, I guess I could think of yeah. um, for a very long time, but then you've also had a hotel surface beside you that was a small one and then that small one turned into a bigger one i know and although and it's not a shocking. mega <laughs> so talk us through that what yeah. was that like well well that was a shock uh however that hotel has always been previously and today it attracts mostly people who are interested in ecology and they're interested in nature and uh, they want to take pictures of the monkeys and they want to take pictures of other animals and they want to walk through uh, the trails and that sort of thing. And that type of tourist does little harm uh, and they're quiet. And um, for me, it's been good. Frankly, it's been That's good. very interesting to hear you say and encouraging as well because growth does happen, but I would argue that Nosara has grown better than any town on the Pacific coast I can think of mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. But no, it's not perfect. If you think but about it, we, we've got green areas interrupting. Mm -hmm. Right. Green areas 
interrupting our entire community mm-hmm. have prevented wide scale development. Mm-hmm. And that's why we get to enjoy what it is today. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is take a trip up the coast or down the coast and look at some of these other villages and say, oh boy, we've got it. Mm. We've got it made. So, so let's keep it the way it is. Yeah. I was going to say the, I, I guess the biggest challenge for the next generation well, really, to me, it seems like it's the same thing. They need to make sure those green areas stay that's in right. place. If we that's keep right. the green areas, mm-hmm. we should be okay. We should be okay. Well, first time I was here, was in 2002, mm-hmm. and that boom was about to start. 9-11 had happened. Interest rates had just dropped, and then people were going back and getting home equity loans and then coming here and buying uh, lots, essentially. Mm-hmm. And things kind of took off 2002 to, I guess, 2006, 7, 8, and then the big crash happened. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came. I moved here right after it got really bloody. Oh, mm-hmm. And after the first boom of people were shoving off, I mm-hmm. showed up to town. Ah. Um, and as I roll through town right now, I've seen so much happen. And so many lots have sold and built and changed hands. In just a short 10 years, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to even explain it to somebody who I just meet. Mm-hmm. So as you roll by... Each neighborhood, each town, there's like, there's literally generations of people mm-hmm. that you know. Mm-hmm. Are those memories still floating around with you or are you kind of here as it is, as it is today? Uh, I think of it as being the big change being 95, 1995. And that's when uh, Café de Paris, uh, Van de Ville, came in and they said, we're going to build a bakery and we're going to have it ready by December. And by God, they did. And it opened in December, and we all thought that was pretty darn good. And also quite amazing that someone came in, said they were going to do something, and then got it done by the time they said they were going to. Yeah, shout out to Tariq. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and then everybody started building. I mean, that was, to me, when the boom started. Interesting. And uh, so I look back and, and say, before 95... You know, it was pretty primitive, pretty simple, but after that, uh, and it wasn't just them, but they were kind of instrumental uh, and an example of what was happening. I got you. They kind of kicked off Guiones, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. or the commercial aspect. That's right. That's right. Very interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. You you know what else happened around there was a movie called The Endless Summer 2. It's a famous surf movie. Surf movie. Or in the summer, one was made in 1964, then 94, mm-hmm. they did another. Ah. But the one of the main finds of that movie was Costa Rica mm-hmm. and the surf. And, and when that movie came out, I, as soon as it came out, I watched it every night going to sleep. And I used to just affirm to myself, I'm going to make it to Costa Rica. I, I've watched the movie thousands of times. Oh, and I fell sake. asleep watching them surf at Witches oh, Rock and at Playa Negra. Uh-huh. And that is what got me to Costa Rica. It was just close enough. Hawaii seemed too far. Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico was too intense and heavy and mm-hmm. kind of localized. And Costa Rica seemed happy. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I could, <laughs> I got on a plane. I came here. I made it August 5th, 1999 was my first day. And when I woke up the next morning, like if I've had a religious experience, that, that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. I woke mm-hmm. up and I just saw the colors and I saw how happy people were. <laughs> and when we rolled into town, everyone was waving. <laughs> like people were nice. Like they were legitimately mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't know you could live your life in a place like that with people like that. Mm -hmm. And it started a fire in me. And I I basically woke up every day for 10 years. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? I got to do it Mm -hmm. until the day I got here. 
was May 1st, 09. Wow. But along the way, it was back and forth and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But I guess what I'm saying is I I got here in the 90s and mm-hmm. it hit me like it was strong. Mm-hmm. When you showed up in the 70s, it sounds like it was just that exact same thing. When you saw that lot, you said this one. Yeah, this one. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah. People are still having that experience today. Someone's going to sure roll it down are. today. Yeah. And it's going to hit a Wait a yeah. second. Yeah. What's going this on with this really place? This is really special. I hear it all the time. And mm-hmm. well, if you work in real estate or vacation rentals and that industry, what happens is people who haven't come to No Star before, the first thing they ask for is I want to have an ocean view and I want to be able to walk to the beach. Yeah. And then we would have to respond. It's like, well, you got to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple properties like yours where you actually can see it and mm-hmm. walk to it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, people continuously come to Nosara, pay higher prices than normal to not have one of the key features that they wanted to have because they like the community. Mm-hmm. The vibe here is, mm-hmm. is, is very unique. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a place so sticky. Why do people keep coming back? Because a lot of times people travel around the world, they come to Nosara, mm-hmm. and now they come to Nosara all the time. Mm-hmm. Why is that, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Well, um, they talk about a vortex. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, some people claim that there is a vortex, and some people claim to have seen it off uh, the point of Punta La, uh, Pelada, seen it from Guiones. And uh, I don't know, but... It certainly does seem, this community, this, this place, seems to have uh, an attraction that is beyond just being a, a place. I mean, there's something that pulls people, and it doesn't pull everyone, you know, and, and often couples, oh, I've watched so many couples break up. You know, the man loves it, the woman hates it, or the woman loves it, and the man can't stand it. And, and that's a shame, you know, but uh, like, like any, any religious experience, and a vortex is sort of like a religious experience, um, it doesn't hit everyone the same. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know if there's a vortex or not, but it's certainly, uh, there is something here that seems very special and pulls at you. Yeah, you're right. I've had a couple friends actually tell me that you've seen stuff. And and these are these are sound people who who don't they're not mm-hmm. not goofies. <laughs> yeah, you said you said that well. And they're just like, I've seen stuff. Uh-huh. I've seen stuff out there, like mm-hmm. multiple people from different time periods. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? Is that yeah. well who knows? Who knows? So do you think aliens exist? Do I think aliens exist? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> Maybe they're around here. <laughs> I don't know. Beaming out some I don't. I don't know that that would attract. I don't know that that would attract you. I, I think that there's a physical force here that can attract you. Like the, um, what is it? The, the triangle in, uh, off the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but this is a positive one, not a negative one. What a trip. Maybe you're onto <laughs> something there. Well, future generations, maybe they'll figure that out and they'll yeah. be laughing at our, con- at our conversation yeah, one day. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Who knows? So if you could go back and change anything, what would that be? Um, like, I, but, but yourself, though, not for the community. Mm-hmm. Like if you could go back and change anything about your experience here, would you change anything or would you just let it be exactly what it was? I think uh, I would let it be. Uh, I'm, 
uh, I'm not the type of person that uh, feels that uh, you have to change everything. Uh, it's been interesting just to watch things develop in their natural form, you know, in, and unnatural form, both ways. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't change anything. I got you. I'm, so I'd live with it. Again. Nice. So you're, you're at peace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very much so. I always look back and I'm like, I wish I, wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have done that. I wish I'd have bought a Toyota instead of a Hyundai for my first car. <laughs> oh man, I've made so many mistakes here. Oh goodness, I guess that's I guess that's the adventure of life, though. That is, that is. It really is. The so living. as Nosara says today, you feel pretty good about it. It sounds like. Ah uh, yes, I do, I do. I think that we are we are working on a number of different uh, projects and aspects of uh, improving our our medio ambiente, our, our surroundings. Uh, certainly the, the work that has been done to uh, save the animals uh, by the two animal um, groups that work very, very hard. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. And They've it's expanded too. Uh, yes, they have. And uh, we've taught the locals the importance of the animals and the importance of the environment and ecology uh, for their own benefit. Uh, the, the tourism that comes here is coming mainly for that, for uh, ecology. And um, when they appreciate it, then uh, more people come mm. and they have better jobs. So, uh, that's got to be interesting to see because when you arrive, there's basically no trees. You didn't really have the monkeys. And, and there are no people. And you didn't have people either. No, the town is tiny. And then, so the local populace definitely didn't have education systems in place to understand. They had, they had the elementary school and that is all. Exactly. So now you've played a huge role in educating this populace. And then also groups like Friends in Osara, which you've been associated with via the Kids mm -hmm. and Library forever. Mm -hmm. It really seems like you guys unified really, really strong. So, um, how did, what caused you guys to pull together like that in this tiny little town with very few full-time residents and get friends in Osara, like united in all these different organizations? Like, how do I say the question I'm trying to ask? It just seems very strange to me in a, in a town this small, that an expat community was this tight going well, back into the the eighties and the nineties and mm -hmm. the early two thousands. I think in, in general, we've had a very high level of educated people coming here and, uh, educated people when they retire doesn't mean they turn off their brains. And so they're still eager to try to improve their surroundings. And I think that we've just had a wonderful group of people and, and that, are, that are activists and willing and eager to do work. I mean, the work of Friends of Nosara for years as they collected money and, and handed it out to the various uh, charities here. Uh, I mean, it was an awful lot of work. And uh, we have to, you have to really appreciate that. And not all people You're come, right. uh, and, and also the fact that most of them were retired and they had the time. They weren't still trying to make a buck. They had their bucks and now they wanted to do something to improve their surroundings. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. 
It really did. It went from retirees and transitioned into families. Well, I guess that's kind of our, our challenge right now, right? Yes, and, it is. And that's our probably where you're right going. Now. Yeah, that's probably where the library is also going to go. You're, you're, okay, here's where we are today. Where's the future? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys just, well, Bobby, told, when she was on here and she told me about it, she said she thinks it was just luck. She just said retirees came down and we just happened to get lucky that the right kind of people came here. And now we're transitioning, though, into a faster pace. You have families and people have schedules and things to do and they're running around like crazy. And I'm guilty of that. My lifestyle is pretty busy. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to get back as much as I can and I really try. Mm -hmm. But there's not enough hours in a day. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So let's jump over to the library while we're on the subject. So Mm -hmm. where's the library at today? And uh, bring us up to speed with where we're at right now. Well, uh, let's see. I don't quite know where to begin. Um, Today, um, this month, January, we have uh, a program. We have an exchange program with Middlebury College in Vermont. And uh, they send us four young people every year for the month of January. It's their J term, what is called a J term in, uh, at college. And uh, during the J term, you can do special projects or you can take an intensive course in math or psychology or whatever. And uh, many years ago, there was a professor here who uh, had a uh, condo in Las Flores, and uh, he said to me, you know, we got a J term at my school. Could you use some warm bodies in January? And I said, I certainly could. They could teach English. And that was 23 years ago. Wow. 23 years. Middlebury College has sent us three or four young people every year. And they teach English for the whole month. Thanks, Middlebury. Yeah, indeed. And they pay their whole way. And um, and they teach for the month. They teach four days a week. They teach children, um, a children's class. They teach an adult class. And they teach a teenage class. So they're very busy. And it's been extremely important for the community because many, many, many people in Nosara have learned all their ling- English at this class. Now, why is it important for them to learn English? But, and here's why I'm asking. Exactly. Sometimes uh, people will send me an email out of nowhere. It'll be like, what are you doing down there teaching English? You're in a Spanish speaking country. What's Mm -hmm. wrong with you? You're trying Mm -hmm. to change the culture. No, go home. White guy. Mm -mm. Like every now and then that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you feel differently. Well, uh, for, for years and years, Peace Corps, I would send volunteers and not allow them to teach English. And no teaching English for that very reason. Not to be culturally superior and say, you've got to learn my language. Uh, however, now Peace Corps sends people to teach English. Because that's what the countries want. They want to be able to be bilingual. They want to be able to, uh, to get the almighty dollar. And um, the almighty dollar speaks English. And uh, it's important that they have the opportunity, if they choose, to, and here in our community, uh, you get more money if you can speak uh, English. Right. So, so they're very eager, and, and uh, they have jobs already, 
and they're struggling to understand what this client said. He came in and he talked so fast and I couldn't, under, couldn't understand a word he said. And he was very cross and then he got more cross and, and poor guy, he was trying to communicate and this other guy is standing there. I, I can't understand. It's frustrating. So the more you learn, the less frustrated you are. And, uh, and the more opportunities you and have. And the more opportunities you have. And the more money you can earn and the better your family lives. So basically, you feel your English programs are improving the community. Absolutely. Talk there us, is no doubt about it. Talk us through some examples. At a t t well, for example, many of the tuk-tuk drivers uh, take the class. Um, many of them already have, um, have started their English. And, and, and the thing is, you don't learn English in one month, obviously. I mean, anybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But if you practice what you learned in that month during the year and then take it again in January, you're at another level. And then you improve a little more, you speak it during the year, you experiment, then the next year you take it again. We have people who've taken the course five and six years in a row and uh, they, they get better and better. So do you have some solid success stories out of there? Oh, there are tons. I mean, if, if you uh, go into any of the businesses, waitresses, waiters, um, young people who are running businesses as managers and whatnot, um, uh, they, many of them have got their English in the library. And people are always coming back and say, oh, I met the cutest guy. He's a guide now for such and such. And he learned all of his English in the library. And uh, so we get it. We get a lot of kudos constantly, and so I know, I know that we've made really made a difference. Mm. Um, this is um, one young man, um, and and um, many young people have gone on to college. You know, they they start out, uh, they come to the library, they learn computer science, they learn uh, some English, uh, they get into reading. Uh, they become a little more educated on their own, plus the education that they're taking. And uh, and then they say, geez, you know, I, I can go to college. And and then they go on to college. And many of them major in English and or tourism. And then they come back here and they work and they get good jobs, good jobs. And they make real money. So, yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of good stuff going. So what else is going on? Um, tell us about Soy Bebe. Oh, Soy Bebe is such a fun program. Um, this started uh, the National Library. We belong to the National Library System, number one. And uh, we're the 58th library in the country, in the country, the whole country. There are only 58 libraries. And wow. uh, of, of those 58, there are only about seven that are financed by the federal government. All the rest are financed either by universities or um, uh, municipalities. Mm. And um, our library is financed by the foreign community, ex exclusively by the foreign community, both uh, American, German, Swiss, uh, and... Um, so, um, so ours is ours is special. Ours is a little different. Is it, not only is it special that the foreign community has supported it. Yes. it's actually a pretty solid enterprise and institution that's been here for a while, and it mm -hmm. continues to go to this day. Yes, yes. Many of the libraries. I'm not trying to put them down, but they might not be as nice as yours. Well, they don't have what we have. 
That's what I'm getting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to say that politically correct. <laughs> Very nicely, uh, softly. <laughs> um, yes, uh, the national government just doesn't have the resources to provide the libraries with good, up-to-date reading books. Isn't that the same case for the school system as well? The, the That's right. government just doesn't have the money to fund the schools That's properly. Right. That's right. So how would you describe to someone listening to this who's unfamiliar with with what it's like here, how would you describe the education for children in our area, the, just the public education, not counting the library's efforts, just their standard education? Well, it would be nicer if they all used books. Uh, <clears throat> that makes a big difference. I mean, a child needs to, you can, you can graduate from sixth grade here and never have touched a book. And that's, that's not a good thing. And so uh, the library has all the textbooks, uh, and um, we also help with the program to promote the textbooks that La Nación is now printing, and that's Libros para Todos. And uh, we're very active in that program, trying to convince the schools to use these books, and then we raise the money and buy the books, and then the parent pays half price for the book. For uh, And... Uh, it, it has, where it has worked, it has worked very well. Uh, it has been difficult to convince them to change their methodology and use this book. But the Ministry of Education has accepted the books completely. And the um, La Nación Libros para Todos works very closely with um, the Ministry of Education. So... Uh, uh, Anyway, I, I'd like to see them all using books, and I think that that would improve the level of education. Uh, the, there are lots of other aspects that could be improved as well. But, um, my goodness, if we're going to throw stones at uh, education systems, boy, we can throw a lot at the U.S. So, uh, you know, I, I hate to criticize too much because we have some serious problems in our own schools in the United States. So... Um, I think I'll leave it at that. Well, it's kind of interesting because... But I'll go back to Soy Bebe. Let's do it. Okay. Um, that is a program that was started by the National Library. Uh, it was their idea. And they brought all of us in um, for a big meeting to show us how to do this. And uh, then we took it back to our library. And I think we're one of the few libraries who runs, runs the program. And we've been running it now for, I don't know, five or six years. And uh, we have two groups. We have a group of six-month-old to three-year-olds and a group of three-year-olds to five-year-olds. And we read a story and then do some sort of a physical uh, activity, coloring, playing, singing, dancing, whatever, that probably ties into the story that we've read. Then the children check out a book and take the book home. We're also working with the parents. The parent comes with the child. Some uh, dads actually come with the child. Awesome. And um, mostly it's the moms. And um, we're trying to push the moms and dads to read out loud to children because that makes a phenomenal difference in the educational level of a child and, and his ability to learn uh, if he's been read to. 
Yeah, so so we really work on that. Um, and then this year, very surprising, uh, we have a large group of three to five-year-olds, and most of them are going to be going to uh, the regular school starting uh, in February. And the mothers said, we're not willing to give up this program. We want you to make a program at a, at a time that we can bring our kids to so that they continue with this reading incentive program. It's working. It's working. I mean, I was so shocked. I said, what? They asked you to? Oh, my goodness. Well, that, that shows the success of the program. It's got to be a great feeling. It is a great feeling. It is a great feeling. So we will organize that. And uh, so you guys are targeting the, the infants, essentially. The little oh, yeah, kids. we're going, targeting um, everybody on up. The and then we have a seniors program. Yes. Yeah, so we've talk had us a, through that. Yeah. We've had a seniors program forever. I mean, uh, gosh, 15 years at least we've had the seniors program. And what do you do with the seniors program? Well, um, we 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 did a lot of things at first uh, to get people to come into the library. Uh, and uh, strange things. We had a theater group, and we had a dance group, and uh, we just looked for activities, uh, classes in uh, how to make stuff, um, arts and crafts, uh, to get people to come into the library because they were afraid to come in the door. You know, they didn't know what a library was. So... So anyway, we got so them in the door. get their guards down yeah. and build some trust and rapport. Yeah, exactly. And they, um, so the seniors group has a theater group. They put on little short plays, little tiny short plays. And they also have a dance group. And so they practice dancing. And, uh, and they're great dancers. They love to dance, the seniors do. And, and they're all my age, you know. And, uh, and they're, they're good dancers, too. Nice. Yeah. How are most of them getting there, the senior group and the kids, how do most people get to the library? Uh, most walking because the library is in the center of town. So um, it's, an, it's, an easy, it's an easy place to get to. And now, of course, with tuk-tuks, everybody's coming in tuk-tuks, which is, which is convenient, but not necessarily as good for their health as walking was. But, um, uh, yeah. And then there are, of course, people come on motos. And, uh, and and a few cars. So basically, you, you guys have something going on for most of every age group. Yes, we do. And you also have computers that, that are at the facility yes, as well. Yes, we do. We have 12 computers now up and running. And uh, we'll be offering some computer classes uh, in the in February. Which is fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. So basically, it, somebody could come get a skill set. Absolutely. From, from any demographic. Absolutely, yes. That I'd say true. that's what separates what you're doing from... Well, from everything, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're people-oriented. That's, that's who we're working with. We're working with the people. So tell us about your staff right now. Um, well, Consuelo has been with us now for, I think, 18 years. I think everyone and, knows Consuelo. Uh, of, course she, of course they do. And uh, Consuelo uh, is a graduate uh, from the university in library science. And uh, it took her five years because she had to go on the weekends, you can imagine, going every weekend to Nicoya to take classes. But she did it. She did it, and she passed. And, um, and, she's, and she's good. She's taught a lot of children to read because uh, we have even second graders that have trouble reading. And they'll come into the library, and she'll sit with them and, and work with them. And 
she's terrific with the kids. She's just terrific. So, and then her daughter Marjorie runs the Soy Bebe program, and she has taken quite a few courses uh, offered by the national system, um, the national government, uh, in child care and child instruction. And uh, um, we've even got the PANI, the um, Patronato, very interested in our community. And they gave two courses this past year. Three months each course. Jeez. Three months each course. So, um, free. So th that's, you know, tremendous. And, uh, and they were well attended. And uh, so we serve the community in a lot of different ways. <laughs> well, I guess my next question is, well, first off, thank you for everything. No. <laughs> um, but going forward, like what what's what's the future hold? Like what are you doing to ensure that the library is adapting and adjusting for 2020 and beyond? Well, it, that's very important because uh, I've been the head of the library, and uh, it's I guess it's moving force. Uh, Consuelo is its sustaining force, uh, and uh, I am not getting any younger. You may have noticed that. Um, no, actually. <laughs> So um, we need to plan for succession. And so uh, a year, about a year and a half ago, two marvelous women in the community uh, volunteered to start working with me and helping and thinking about succession and what are we going to do and what is the plan for the future. Mary Kavanaugh and Mary Smathers. Mary's are awesome. Oh, Mary's are marvelous. God bless the Mary's. And uh, we have made a great team. Um, and they came up with the idea that what we needed was to extend our, um, our reach and, and our contacts into the community, uh, 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 not, not only the local community, but the foreign community, especially because that's who pays for the library. And um, so we have formed an advisory board. And uh, they said that any institution the size of ours uh, should have an advisory board. And so we've had a couple meetings with the advisory board, and I, I think that it's going to be extremely valuable because these people come from uh, many different walks of life, some retired, some still working, uh, so it's, it's a difference in ages, and um, they're coming forward with a variety of, of possible plans and things to do and ways to improve. So I think we're, I think we're on a roll. Nice. We're on a roll. Well, let's give a quick thank you to the Marys. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you're really happy about it and you I like am. the demographic or, or the, the, the mixture of people who are on your board kind of. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. We had a meeting recently and it was, it was truly exciting. It was truly exciting. And the ideas that came forward, um, some were pie in the sky, and, but many were, wow, we could do that. And we could do it now. So we'll just have to see how we uh, continue to grow. Seems like communication is basically the solution for almost all of the world's problems. Yes. <laughs> um, whether you're running a library or you're arguing over land in a foreign country mm -hmm. or whatever it is, you need to be able to communicate. Yeah. Um, 
one thing I've realized uh, from working in security for so long mm-hmm. are being, oh, geez, what a losing battle dealing with security is here. I always mm-hmm. say our negatives are crime, cars, <laughs> and electronics in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our biggest issue is we've moved from an agricultural society into a tourism-based society. Mm-hmm. The local populace is not being armed with the, sil- the skill sets and the education mm-hmm. to get the higher-paying jobs mm-hmm. in the tourism in the tourism sector at a high mm-hmm. level, the only place that's really cranking out those skill sets and has been forever is the library. So I see the library's future, a lot of it, a lot of its growth and access is going to be the new people who come in who have money getting involved. Mm-hmm. And then we get those skill sets to the local populace so that people like myself who own businesses here can hire the local people. Hire locals. Because mm-hmm. what happens right now is if you hire local people just because they're from here, which we do, it, but it costs us tens of thousands of dollars. It's really challenging for everyone. And what we found is the local people want the education. Mm-hmm. They want the communication ability. Mm-hmm. They want to have a car. They want to have a home. They mm-hmm. want all these things. But unless you can get a higher paying job here, you're not going to be able to get it because mm-hmm. things are expensive here. Mm-hmm. And those price tags are filtering back into behind the trees, as I call it, where mm-hmm. the real no Serenians live. Mm-hmm. So how do we get them involved and, and give them opportunities? Well, it's the education and the skill set. So that's mm-hmm. what the library is doing. Mm-hmm. But the library can't do that at a bigger level unless people get involved. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, it, it, it kind of seems like the new people coming in, jumping into the community and getting busy is literally the solution mm-hmm. for the local populace. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is language. That is the problem because there are so many people here that, uh, gringos, foreigners, that have wonderful skills and they're willing to share their skills. You know, somebody's a specialist in math. Oh boy, do we need somebody to teach math. But they don't speak Spanish. And if you don't speak Spanish, then you're useless to the local population. And, and that has always been our problem. And uh, we'll probably continue to be. I think you're right. I actually think that problem is going to get bigger because the more people, again, this is if people don't get involved. If -hmm. people get involved, we can solve it because we can Mm -hmm. arm. Well, education can solve it. If we can Mm -hmm. communicate, the gringo and the Tico populace Mm -hmm. will have far less friction. That's right. That's that's you share that opinion. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel as well. Um, Again, communication is pretty much the solution. Mm -hmm. And if you can communicate, you can educate. And if Mm -hmm. you can educate, you can get the jobs. Mm -hmm. And then people who own the businesses here, I don't know of any business owner here who does not want to hire locally. They do want to. Yes, of course. Um, The challenge Mm -hmm. is, well, one, you have to have people who want to get an education, Mm -hmm. who want to participate. Mm -hmm. And you can't can't train that. You can't make people care. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is make sure the biblioteca and – forces like it are armed with the tools that are needed to implement the education. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're doing a heck of a job. And now you're taking steps to make sure that just accentuates. That's right. That's right. And well, expands. So hopefully expands. people, yeah, that's a better word. So hopefully people listen to this and they think it's interesting to get involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So And it's fun. So it's on, fun to get on that note, tell us about it. Someone listening to this, they've heard of you, they've heard of the Biblioteca, but they don't really know. The nuts well, they should come in and have a look. Okay, so I was about to say, what's yeah. the first step? So come visit. Come in and take a look. Yeah. Okay. We have 17,000 books, and uh, we have a good collection of English, both um, um, nonfiction and fiction. 
And uh, we try to keep it as up-to-date as we can, but that, that depends on, I don't buy books in English. I get them, they're given to us. And uh, it depends how many we get given. But uh, so we have a good collection. Books. That's... Well, yes, but only new books. Mm. I don't want, uh, you know, something that's been sitting on your shelf for 10 years. Gotcha. So, so the old moth-ridden books, let's no, keep no, those out. No, no, we don't want those. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So no, people, have to. people also donate financially. What are the standard yes. kind of donation parameters? Well, uh, one can donate at any level. Uh, however, to be a patron, and that's a very special qualification and uh, classification, and that is $300 a year which uh, is not a, a mountain of money, but that kind of keeps us running. So that really mm -hmm. is your bread and butter, yes, kind of that $300 yes. a year. Yep. Right? And some of those patrons give more. Quite a few of them give more. And uh, that, makes, that makes it possible to keep that library running. Gotcha. So it seems like your staffing is in place. You have a good system. We have, a very, we have very good trained staff, and, uh, and our facility is working great. And it was built for us um, by, it was designed for us by Jim Wall, uh, a local resident. And he worked with a uh, Nicoya art, uh, architect firm. And they did the library as their uh, charity project. So we didn't even pay for that. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Wall. And then the community, the Nosara community, was so convinced the, the library had been functioning in a little storefront in the center of town and for about, about five years and uh, seven years, seven years. And um, enough people had felt that it was important that the Nosara uh, Asociación de Desarrollo uh, gave us the land. Nice. So the land is paid for. We built the building with cash. And uh, so we, we have no, we have nothing hanging over us. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, a tip of that. We hat. just got to keep it running. Yeah, I was going to say, the tip of that to, uh, to you and everyone else who's make that happen, now it's time to, to keep it going. That's right. All right. Well, yep. hopefully people listening to this know they can get involved. They can get involved. Uh, and they're we welcome look to do so. To it. Yes. Right on. Um, yeah. One of my things I've, I've been trying to work towards and mention more is a a community center type facilities throughout the area where people from Delicias, from Garza, from Nosara town, from wherever they have a happy landing place to go mm -hmm. and they can get an education. Mm -hmm. And remember when you first opened the library, people were scared to come through the yes. doors or like, Whoa, what yeah, is this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's still kind of out there. There's a lot of timidity and mm -hmm. unnecessary embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And if we can get the community lines of communications flowing, mm -hmm. hopefully we can do what you're doing there, right in the center of Nosara town mm -hmm. at a, at a, broader level mm -hmm. um you nailed it well, we we do uh function as a community center that's uh, what i'm saying we, yeah. like we that i like for those efforts to permeate mm -hmm. and, and grow and mm -hmm. the more people come in who dial yeah. into it mm -hmm. you have more skill sets available more funding available mm -hmm. and that's more opportunity for the true locals to actually get the employment and open businesses mm -hmm. and succeed here mm -hmm. a lot of people have asked in the past they're like well hey why don't you have more tico people working uh, in your line of work? And mm -hmm. the answer is, they don't want to right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, and quite frankly, I wouldn't even be here if somebody else had the education mm -hmm. and the knowledge <laughs> and had been trained 
to do all these mm-hmm. things. And I'm happy to help do that. Yeah. I, I really am. And there's a lot of other people who are the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the skill set around here is very, very high. There's very talented very, people. Very. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can continue to knock down those, uh, I don't even know if it's a barrier or we really, we just need more people doing what you've been doing. Yes. <laughs> Quite frankly. Yes. More people involved. And it's fun to be involved. <clears throat> it is. What type of events, um, for people who might be unfamiliar, what type of events do you sometimes hold or have held in the past to generate interest and raise money? Because you mentioned the word fun and you've done a lot of fun stuff. Uh, yes. We, the, the town, uh, Nosara community, uh, the foreign community, had a uh, play group, a theater group, for four years. They put on I four years. Of, oh, they were terrific. They were good. They were terrific. Oh, it was wonderful. I was shocked. Oh, yes. Really oh, well, good. Well, and after four years, they got pretty darn good, too. And uh, first year wasn't quite as exciting, but it was okay. And then the second year was better. By the fourth year, they were full professionals. It was amazing. It truly was amazing. And uh, that, those were very successful uh, events. But it was a great deal of work. And they had to memorize an entire play. And that takes a lot of time and energy. And they were, just weren't willing to, to continue. But, boy, I'd love to get that going again. You know what? The new <coughs> Nosar Performing Arts Academy, they're bringing in a lot of Tico kids mm-hmm. uh, for dance, for art, for drama, mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. I bet you can't get it going again. I bet they would be willing to help a little bit. It would be wonderful. That would be terrific. They're trying to use that facility mm-hmm. for, for a melting pot for mm-hmm. every culture. Mm-hmm. So that would be cool if they got mm-hmm. I bet they'd do it, too. Um, you've also had stand-up comedians come through one year. Yes, we did have those. We they came two years in a row. Was it two years? Yeah, okay, it I was remember two years. Yeah, yeah, they came two years in a row, and that was fun. That was fun. But after two years, you know, we'd kind of heard the jokes. Yeah, and uh, um, <laughs> I get it. So, so it, it, that's the trouble with everything. I feel. Uh, now we did trivia for two years in a row, mm-hmm. and that was fun. But. Um, <laughs> You can't do the same thing every year. You just you just gotta find new things to do, and uh, new treats. Well, I think your advisory board you've got you've got the right people there. I, I think so. I was I really so. impressed with with the array mm-hmm. of demographics, ages, mm-hmm. gender, just everything. You, yeah, you're onto something there. So I hope so. Good I, stuff. I really think so too. The, and we'll see what we can come up with. The doing something new though, I actually think you. I'll publicly say it. I think you need to do something you did a long time ago. I think it's time for you to do your slideshow again. Oh. And we have like an open... Terrible slideshow. <laughs> no, it's an awesome slideshow. <laughs> I think that it's... We have... You got to remember, the people who know you from 95 and 05 and even 15, it's, it's different. There's so many people here right now who would love to hear what you have to say. They would love to see those photos. They have no clue about any of the stuff that mm-hmm. you're mentioning right now. Mm-hmm. They just know they moved to this kind of interesting little town and it seems like it's off the beaten path and they step back in time and the reality is you were way back in time that's for damn sure and for you this is like a big city at this point compared <laughs> to what it used to be like but the, the the perception is so different and perception is reality mm-hmm. so i would love if you'd be willing to do your slideshow again i'd love to have a night mm-hmm. where people could just ask you questions and maybe even mm-hmm. get another person or two and Bobby mm-hmm. has some good stories. Mm-hmm. Bill has some good stories. Bobby and Bill actually crack me up whenever they mm-hmm. get going. Uh-huh. Bill still talks about the time the plane came in to land to drop off the mail or whatever it was. And they had to go jumpstart the plane with one of the cars, but there were only a couple cars in town. And 
just you guys have been through so much. That's right. That's hmm. right. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. I don't think you're going to want to answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What are your three favorite restaurants in Osaka? I would not answer that. Not for. That's a dangerous. That's, that's a dangerous a, that's question just for you. Too dangerous. Okay. So no. how about this? I'm going to rephrase it. I'll, I'll put it another way. Uh, I I don't think I have ever had a bad meal in Nosara, and I've eaten in a lot of places, and I don't think that I've ever had a bad meal. So you like the food here? I do. I do very much. Yep. Let's do it from a historicity standpoint. So over 30, 50 years, <laughs> name three of your favorites over the time. And it doesn't have to be today. It could just mm-hmm. be the whole time. Okay. Um, Almost Paradise. Oh, wow. Do you remember that? Were yeah. you here for that? I came in when right the as they people, When the French people were running it. Oh, they had the most wonderful food. And um, didn't that, what was that, what was that site originally? Almost Paradise. What building? It was a house. It was a home. It was, it was the first house that was built in the project of Nosara. That was it. Wow. The first. Wow. Our house was the second. We were the first to buy uh-huh. and the second to build. Another little Pilata Hill. Yeah. Close to the beach. Yeah. You yeah. guys figured it out. Yeah. And they had a fabulous view from their porch, which, of course, they don't it's have anymore. It's gone. Gone. Completely gone. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, but anyway, that was a, that French restaurant was, was really good. How's it going? Yeah. Okay. So what else? And, um, and then the, the, the original, uh, iguana, uh, the gilded iguana back in the seventies and eighties when they used to have just two or three little things that they could offer, but it was so good and it was so special and there were no other restaurants. So it made it very special. Wow. That was fun. That was really fun. And we used to hang out there. That was great. Was that where the rumor wall was? The what? The rumor wall? Yes. Yes. Yep. That's so dangerous. I know. I'm glad that's gone. No, I'm glad that's gone too. <laughs> There's already enough challenges living in a that's small right. town. That's right. That's yeah. right. There's enough rumors going around without having a wall of them. Yeah. <laughs> you guys had it though. Yeah, yeah. Huh. that's another. That's a whole other episode, I guess. Yeah. All right, what's another? Well, and um, I used to enjoy um, the uh, restaurant uh, of uh, Lagarta, the original Lagarta, and that that gorgeous long table. Remember that one piece of wood? Yep. That ran the whole length of the building. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the food was very, very good and consistent. Oh, you're bringing back a memory. Those yeah. croquettes, cro- however you say it. Yes, yeah, cro- cro- yeah, the croquettes yeah. of uh, potatoes, potato croquettes. I love those. Those were great. Were they good? Yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. I forgot we used to go there all the time. Yeah, so those are my three. Ah, oh, those are all really good. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't thank you enough. We've co- we've talked about so much. We could talk about so much more. Um, I hope you'll consider doing the slideshow on a public forum and we'll use, we'll raise money and we'll do all the work. You just show up and be you. Okay. Okay. I'll do it. Okay. And thank you for doing this. You're entirely welcome. My pleasure. It is an honor. Thanks. Thank you.